Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is before the box score. And like half of Missouri's graduating senior football players, I'm back, baby. We're running it back. Uh, thanks to Aaron for pitching in for the past two weeks while I have been <clears throat> changing diapers and getting spit up on. But, um, yeah, it was time to do some something that was a little bit more complex uh, than taking care of a sleeping baby. So here I am. Uh, B.K., what did I miss? Um, so Missouri doesn't have a defensive coordinator anymore. Like you said, all oh. of their seniors are coming back, not named um, Damon Hazleton. Sure. So that's good. Uh, they have a million slot receivers and oh. basically zero receivers over six foot one. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that mostly covers it at this point. Oh, and by okay. the way, we have a new national champion. They are from the Southeastern Conference. It's this upstart team called Alabama. I, this this what? young wicker, whippersnapper by the name of Nick Saban, he can coach. It turns out he's going to be pretty good at this. Oh, what? Man, that's a lot. Um, all right, well, we'll, we'll break it down into little snippets here. Uh, digested very slowly since I am, gosh, listener, if you thought I was – I had terrible opinions and was inaccurate information with a full night's sleep. Just wait till you hear me with two. Boy, were you right. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait till you hear me with two hours of sleep. All right. So um, you you mentioned the defensive coordinator. Okay, so Ryan Walter is gone. He took the 
Illinois job. That is, yes, that is a lateral move. Um, BK, I'll tell you what, what this smacks of to me. Um, mm-hmm. So Missouri's defense was not very good this year. Uh, it had its moments, obviously, like against Kentucky and against South Carolina and obviously Vanderbilt. But uh, at the end of the day, it was the 50th best defense in the country, according to SP+. And a lot of that was because of injury, sure. But of the things that you can control, uh, the secondary was not very good. And they weren't very good because they were super young and starting a two-star junior and just not very deep. Uh, now, the safeties were good, but the corners were bad. And really, when you're thinking about uh, pass coverage in a 4-2-5, it is falling on the corners, and they weren't as good as they as we wanted them to be. Rake Straw will be good eventually. Where is hit and miss, but you know it's a bunch of freshmen. And if you have a bunch of freshmen in your secondary, you tend to give up big plays, and that's what Missouri did. Um, look at next year. It's not going to be any different. And you lose Josh Bledsoe, and you lose Tyree Gillespie. I think Ryan Walters looked at this and said, look, if I, if I don't turn this around in 2021, I want to get my butt fired. So I think he just saw a, an opportunity to control his career, uh, was offered a chance to start his defense somewhere else. It happened to be at Illinois. And I think regardless of paycheck, he, he made the smart decision to take it. And I don't blame him. Uh, it sucks to lose, but um, that's my take. I think you're right. Um, I think it might even go a little bit beyond that. I don't know how much him and Eli Drinkwitz were ever going to be a fit together. And that is not a suggestion that, um, they don't like each other or that they clashed or anything like that. I don't think all of these things have to be such a conspiracy. Ryan Walters just wasn't an Eli Drinkwitz guy. That's, that's not a guy that he hired, right? He's on the staff with Eli Drinkwitz, but I think in part it was because Drinkwitz looked around he saw that there wasn't a clear upgrade from Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters didn't have a clear option to go elsewhere that would be, at a very minimum like this, a lateral move. And so they just decided, no, you know what, for one more year, let's go ahead and make this work. We'll move forward with this. It worked as well as could be expected, given the talent that Missouri had on that side of the ball a year ago. And I think all along, Ryan Walters probably knew his future was not going to be here at Mizzou. He was always probably looking for his way to get a fresh start. I think here at Mizzou, he was always going to be under the shadow of Barry Odom, and Mm, he was going to be remembered as a former Barry Odom staffer. He was Mm. seen as a guy that nobody really knew how much he was the guy that was in charge of the defense when Odom was here. This year, the defense was just okay when he was truly in charge. So I think it makes a lot of sense from his perspective to go elsewhere and to kind of really start his career path. If you look nationally, He's viewed really highly by a lot of national reporters, um, and you can make of that what you will, but people think he's an up-and-comer, so he's probably trying to make good on that, find out can he do this on his own, and I I think he's going to do pretty well there. I think he's a pretty good recruiter. I think he's perfectly fine defensively in terms of what he does scheme-wise. He has some really interesting third-down blitz packages. I think he's a pretty good coach overall. I think Eli Drinkwitz decided to go a different route, I think Ryan Walters wanted to go a different route. I think it ultimately could be a good thing for both of them that they decided Mm -hmm. to do this. Now comes the hard part, though, for Drink. (laughs) We talked so much when Odom was here about how important his offensive coordinator hire was going to be. And even though the results weren't always great, he got it it right the first time around, right? He ultimately got it right. And then 
you end up with Derek Dooley. And for a lot of reasons, that was probably the number one thing that led to Barry Odom getting fired here. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this is going to be a, a hire that gets Eli Drinkwitz fired at Mizzou, but it's a really important hire nonetheless. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear from you because you are much more well-versed in some of these coach movement concepts than mm-hmm. I am. I'm fascinated to hear... I don't know how much you've looked into it, how much you've had time to look into it, but do you have any leanings on who you would like to be the next DC? Do you have something in particular that you're looking for in the next DC, a profile? What what do you want to see in this hire? So my first kind of knee-jerk wish list was somewhere between Marcus Freeman out of Cincinnati, Clayton White out of Western Kentucky, and Derek Mason, former Vanderbilt head coach. All three of those guys just got hired like in the last week. So, you know, screw me, right? Uh, Marcus Freeman and, uh, you know, at Cincinnati has crafted a defense. Now I know, um, obviously, he's it's not just his. It, it's kind of a collaborative effort. But uh, he, he is a name that's on the rise. And obviously enough on the rise that LSU hired him, if I remember correctly. Uh, so we'll, yep. we will see him somewhere in the next eight years. Um, but he, he was great. Uh, Clayton White has uh, some experience with Drinkwitz. I think they're on staff at Auburn, I think. I don't remember. That's but typically the, the spot for all of these guys. Exactly. I think it was yeah. NC State, if I'm not mistaken. NC State, there you go. So his defense was really good for the Hilltoppers this past year. He'd kind of been building that thing since the younger Helton uh, brother had taken over. And so, I mean, he, he's done a lot with very little. And, and I always liked that from a defensive coordinator. Uh, position because you know the thing with defense like recruiting rankings are a way more accurate on defense just because offense players can benefit from scheme whereas defense it's basically a talent position right like you are either really good or you're really not and yes there's some scheme stuff to defense but it's smarts it's effort and it's strength and speed and like if you don't have that then you know the recruiting rankings are really accurate and he was able to turn some low star kids into a pretty awesome defense, and so that's something that I appreciate, and I think that's something you could bring into to Mizzou and see some some effort there. So he's gone. Uh, Derek Mason is is much like Barry Odom, uh, head coaching chops questionable, uh, but DC chops without a doubt. He's probably the second best defensive coordinator uh, out there right now, uh, and the fact that um, see here goes my sleep brain again. Did he get hired at uh, Auburn? I believe so. Let me make sure on that. Um, I'm a little behind on Derek that as well. Mason. I think he was. Yep, Brian Harson's Auburn staff. Yeah. Yep. yep. So he, the thing about Derek Mason as a DC, and we've seen his Vanderbilt teams for like the past seven years. We we know that, but coaches talk about like. Like, look, Vandy sucks. Like, Mason did not make Vanderbilt better. Like, no doubt about it. But, like, coaches talked about, like, the the first quarter and the third quarter. Those Commodore defenses were shutting you down. Like, they knew what you wanted to do, and they were there. And sometimes they had the horses to do it. Sometimes they didn't. But regardless of talent, they knew how to take away what you wanted to do. So you add Auburn talent to Derek Mason's defensive – defensive genius here and it's it's gonna be good so he's off the table too so there's a couple other things that i'm thinking of uh 
I like to keep scheme just because, you know, you've been recruiting it uh, to it for a little bit. It's not necessary to keep, but when you're looking at this roster of what this defensive coordinator is going to inherit, you inherit a lot of kind of pure uh, defensive ends, whether the talent, you know, they're either super young or they're not as talented as we like, but you inherit a lot of pure defensive ends, but they've been running this kind of three, four scheme. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, you could bring in someone who runs a four, two, five. You can bring in someone who runs a three, four defense, or you could bring in someone who runs a hybrid of that. And a guy who runs a hybrid is a guy named Kurt Maddox, who has maybe the best mullet of all of the coaches in FBS right now. He's out at San Diego State. Runs a 3-3-5. Now, what that is, that's three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and then five defensive backs. Well, hello, we've been running with five defensive backs for the past three years. Mm -hmm. We also run a three-man defensive front this year, uh, and it uses three linebackers, and they just bring pressure from all sorts of places that you can't even – you know, it's tough for, for offenses to read. We saw that when San Diego State came to Mizzou in 2010 and how many how much fits and troubles Missouri had with that kind of scheme. You could do the same thing. We have outside linebacker pass rushers. We have kind of a heavier three, uh, three-man defensive front right now. And I don't know how he is as a recruiter, but schematically I think he could slide in and he could, he could find a lot of things to work with here. I like it. Um, have any ties to Drinkwitz, though? Or absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) zero baby. And that's the tough part about these kinds of these kinds of hires, man, is like you look for that. And there are a lot of them on Mizzou's coaching staff. Like if you look back on, Hey, what is the Bush Hamden connection? Like there's a connection to most of these guys that Mizzou hired a year ago outside of basically Marcus Johnson. He was the one that didn't have any obvious connections to drink. Um, But most of the other guys were either at, Arkansas State, Auburn, NC State, or Boise at, at a certain point with Drinkwitz. So there was a clear connection there. But that's not always the case. So I, it, it's hard to know for sure if that's going to be almost a prerequisite or not. I mean, it's possible that Maddox was at like a coaching camp with Drinkwitz and they hit it off and they know each other really well from that, right? And we just don't know about that until he's ultimate, until he's eventually hired. But that's something that is difficult to judge until you actually find out yeah. about it. It, it. You won't know until they say it. And, you know, AS, uh, ACSPA, the American Coaches Association, they, they didn't have their meetings in person this year. And that's where a lot of these hirings happen during the mm-hmm. national title game. Um, so I don't know if they did a Zoom thing or what, but – there's not going to be a lot of natural networking this year, so that I don't I don't know if they will or not. Um, Burt Watts is another name I would look at. He is currently the linebackers coach out at Memphis, but he was Fresno State's defense coordinator for three years. And, I mean, Fresno State wasn't blowing the world away, but they won the Mountain West twice in a row, and he was fielding, you know, top 50 off uh, defenses in 2018. It was a top 12 defense. Um, so he's got pretty good chops there. His only connection would be Bush Hampton <laughs> <laughs> for like a couple of years. But like, you know, if that's, if that's enough to get you in the door that there you go. Um, the last name on my list right now, as far as like, you know, can we afford him slash is there scheme slash does he know somebody would be David Reeves at yes. UAB. Um, he knows Casey Woods pretty well. And like Bill Clark is the architect of that UAB defense. But David Reeves has kind of been like the uh, – he's been the lieutenant. He's been running it pretty much 
the entire time as well, helping to build it up. He's got good recruiting chops, just like Casey Woods does. He has familiarity with kind of an underdog program and scheme, affordability, nose guy. Like, that works for me. I like it. Um, and he runs, if I'm not mistaken, he runs a 3-4, correct, Reeves? He does run a 3-4, yes. So he, he kind of fits from that perspective. Um, he is extremely highly thought of. He uh, was a semifinalist in 2018 for the Broyles Award. He was a nominee in 2019 as well, which is the award given to the top assistant every year in college football. The defense, he basically built up from scratch at UAB. He's the guy right now for me. And again, these hires are very difficult to be able to hone in on. He's the one to me that makes the most sense. Um, But again, I don't know if he knows anything about Eli Drinkwitz. I don't know if he just loves it at UAB and he's super happy there. It's hard to know these things. But Missouri would certainly be an upgrade in terms of how much money he's making. He'd get quite yeah. a bit of a salary boost by coming to Mizzou. So there's there's reason to believe you would at least be interested or at least listen to the call, um, but it, it's hard to know for sure. And, you know, if Mizzou wants to drop a million dollars on a defensive coordinator who doesn't recruit very well, Don Brown's sitting out there. Don Brown from Michigan. I think he got hired, didn't uh, he? Did he? Let me make sure on that. I might be talking out of my you-know-what, but I'll, I'll check Don to make sure. Brown. Piss. Arizona okay, guy. I was about to say, I think he did get hired because I was interested in that idea as well because he's, he's a good coach. Yeah, he's a hell of a defensive mind. He doesn't recruit for crap, but, you know, that's that's okay. We have a f- bunch of other recruiters on the staff. Well, never mind. David Reese will be my guy then. That's who I'd go after. That one's, so, that one's the one that just makes the most sense. He's He runs a defense that is at least close enough to what Mizzou currently has. Um, he has been super successful in doing so. I do not know if he's a good recruiter or not, and that seems like a number one with a bullet um, prerequisite for any assistant under Mizzou or under Eli Drinkwitz. So that is something that I just – we can't know that from the outside, especially with him being at UAB right now. I have no idea how I would be able to judge whether or not he's a good recruiter, um, but that is something that would have to be determined before he would be – the guy that's given the job. You know, the other thing, the other thing you could do is, and God, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. You could promote David Gibbs to the DC position and then hire kind of a younger recruiting type of guy to take over the secondary. Uh, Nope. You're not going to do that. So I'll give you another option. (laughs) Okay. Can I give you the guy that I think makes some sense? Sure. How about Tommy Thigpen? Defensive coordinator right now at North. And here's the connection. Here's the connection. Yeah. Huh? Co-defensive coordinator. But yeah, go ahead. Yes, absolutely. So it would be an upgrade in terms of title, and I would imagine an upgrade in terms of pay as well. Mm -hmm. He was with Drink at Mm -hmm. Auburn, was the safeties coach and linebackers coach at Auburn at the same time that Drinkwitz was there. Oh, nine to 11. So there yeah, is okay. a connection there. They know each other. I don't know if they're close. I don't know if they're tight. I don't know if they're boys, but I know that they were at the same university on the same staff together back in the, um, the early 2010s. So it's not like they are total unknowns to one another. He is a good recruiter. I'm pretty certain on that. Um, 
I don't know if he would want to leave North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, he was with Tennessee from 2013 to 2017, and for all his faults, that Tennessee team mm-hmm. could recruit. So, yeah, you had to be pulling him away from Mama, but uh, money does a lot of work there. And so he he coached linebackers at Tennessee, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that was when they had some pretty darn good linebackers coming out of Tennessee. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so... I think he makes a lot of sense, man. And North Carolina, last couple of years under his tutelage on that side of the ball, I think that's the guy that, like, if I was making a list right now, I would probably go Tommy Figpen, co-defensive coordinator currently for North Carolina as my one, David Reeves from UAB as my number two, and number three, somebody that I don't know right now that is available that I'm unaware of, and then number 27, David Gibbs. (laughs) <laughs> good good i'm sorry gives i just i don't want you there i don't he was want the dc at texas DC chair. i don't um like i i, went, I watched bad. that defense it was bad that was for for anybody <laughs> who doesn't it. know what that defense was like go back to the quotes about patrick mahomes as a quarterback Coming into the NFL draft, <laughs> think about how he had to play while he was at Texas Tech and why he had to play that way. And then remember the Texas Tech defensive coordinator at that time was David Gibbs. David Gibbs has some strengths. I think he's a pretty good recruiter from best I can tell. I don't need him yes, in the D.C. Is. chair. He is. Uh, no. So, Ryan was up Walters to is making 800000 a year. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think you got a bump this year. Oh, was he at nine hundred? Okay. It's a well, hell Tommy of a bump. Making three forty five right now. So it wouldn't take a whole lot. You won't have to break the bank. David Reeves is making thirty thousand in like a set of knives uh, at UAB. That's probably more than that. I don't know. It doesn't. They don't have their salaries listed here. But um, yeah, I, I think Thick Pin's the guy. Let's go get him hired. Absolutely. What do you think? You down? Let's go Let's do, do this. Let's do it. Yeah, let's. I'm good with it, man. He he knows the SEC. He knows the he knows recruiting. Like knows linebackers. We need some linebacker. Like you know, nothing against uh, our current linebacker coach, but you know, it'd be nice to have another set of uh, coaching eyes in that room for a little bit, especially ones coordinated defense. And and, and runs a three four. Runs a three four. Exactly. Hell yeah! All right. And run some three three five, best I can tell as well. So he's he's all about getting those mm-hmm. uh, DBs out there on the field. He has the overhang. It's it's go yeah, time, man. This is the guy. Let's get it, Tommy. <laughs> Come on, Tommy. Let's go. Uh, speaking of, let's go. Let's get let's get guys on the on the team here, man. Like Mugi Cooper, that was uh, that was a pleasant surprise. I, I I saw that news well after everybody else did, but. Um, yeah, that's this is great. Um, I know Mookie. Uh, thing is, his uh, his Christian name is Terrian, but yeah, we're gonna go Mookie all the way. Um, I was very sad to see him go to Ohio State. I know we talked a little bit about this before I left, but Ohio State really liked him, but they just couldn't find a way to get him on the field. Which, I mean, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, like I, you know, you're not you're not gonna be breaking those two up, but like. They didn't have a whole lot behind him, so it's kind of like, oh, you really, you really couldn't mm-hmm. find the field. Um, so there's a little bit of hesitation there, um, usually with transfers, and I've I've heard this from a lot of recruiting guys. Uh, sidebar, they, at some point they're going to redo recruiting class rankings to just be incoming 
players. So that's going to count like JUCO, high school, and transfers just because transfers are so predominant right now. So at some point that'll change. But basically, mm-hmm. if you're taking in a transfer player, you always knock them down to star ranking. That's kind of like the general consensus, which is, hey, you know, you didn't cut it at the team that you're at. So if you're a five-star, you're probably not a five-star. You're probably a four. Work your way down. The thing with Mookie, though, is he didn't even see the field. So it kind of makes me think, like, I don't want to downgrade him. You know, I, I think I think he's still a four-star talent. Um, it just it just didn't work out for whatever reason. I know they had, like, all these ideas of, you know, put him in the slot or put him in the backfield and we can play with all sorts of stuff, and they just never did it. Well, listener, guess who likes to do that stuff, too? Eli Drinkwitz likes to do that kind of stuff. Uh, so we, we certainly have the, the coaching mind for it. It's just he's coming into a receiver room that's chock full of slot receivers. Um, and, and, I mean, mm. I know you wrote about this, but, like, what's your what's your initial thought here of a very crowded receiver room with very short dudes running around? I like it um, if for no other reason than get the talent, figure it out later, right? That That's how the best do it. Yep. I mean, if you look at Alabama every year, they are yep. over-recruiting – at every position. They've mm-hmm. got five stars that are going to be backups their entire careers at Alabama. That's fine. And if they can't make it, if the competition is too much for them, they can leave. Um, I know that's kind of cold-blooded, but that's how college football is, man. And bring in all of the talent, see what works, see what doesn't. And if they don't work out, you could see the transfer portal right now. There's thousands of kids that are going to transfer schools next year. It is no longer um, taboo for these kids to enter the transfer portal, even after a year. I mean, that's how Mookie Cooper is at Mizzou now. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and no harm, no foul. But I like the fact that he's going out there and finding these kids that went Mm -hmm. elsewhere, that are from the Missouri area, that were highly rated whenever they left, and he's able to bring them back to Mizzou. I got no issue with it. I'm all for it, in fact even if they are kind of adding up at this point at a specific position and you're talking about at the slot. I looked into this. SEC StatCat is a pretty good resource. They have a lot of like personnel packages, stats mm-hmm. that you're looking for for Mizzou. I was curious how often Mizzou was in 11 personnel. so Or anything where they had at least three receivers on the field, right? Sure. So 11 personnel is one tight end, one running back, and three receivers on the field. Mizzou was in that personnel package 63% of the time last year under Drinkwitz. About 66% of their passing plays were with 11 personnel. Another 16% of Mizzou's passing plays came from 10 personnel, which is one running back, zero tight ends, four receivers on the field. So basically 82% of the time that Mizzou passed the ball last year, they had at least three receivers. They're always going to have slot receivers on the field is what I'm trying to say. There's always going to be at least, at a minimum, one guy that is in the slot on the field. So that means that you have more opportunities in terms of just the total snap count for these guys to be out there. But you're right. It is starting to get a little bit crowded because you've got Mookie Cooper. You've got Dominic Lovett, who I think probably fits best in the slot whenever he mm-hmm. ultimately gets into the the mix. Barrett Bannister is best out of the slot. They've got a lot of guys, and that's not to mention Jalen Knox, who's probably the favorite to get the mm-hmm. most snaps out of this group going into next season. It's a lot of dudes, a lot of guys that you want to get on the field. You want to see them play early. How are they going to work this all out? I'm not sure. But when I looked at 24-7 sports and their recruiting profile for Muku Cooper 
and they compared him to former Ohio State receiver slash running back slash all-world athlete Curtis Samuel. <laughs> got pretty excited about yeah. it. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be very interested to see what that looks like in Mizzou's offense, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, uh, right now you're looking at the receivers who are over 6-1. You got Kiki, you got Javian Hester, Chance Looper, Towski Dove. Four. Of the kids coming in, uh, Mookie Cooper, 5'10", and Dominic Lovett, 5'10". So... You must be this tall to ride the ride, and right now um, there's not a lot of guys who hit that. But, I mean, hey, look, you can if you flood the field with, with shorter guys, who cares? If they cash the ball and they convert first downs, I don't care how tall you are. Now, at some point you need to go deep, and that's when you got, you know, Dove. That's why you have Chisholm. That's why you have those guys. It does make them a little one-dimensional, kind of lets you know what they're going to do, but um, – who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe Mookie Cooper comes on the field and he's a burner and all of a sudden he's, you know, pulling a Devontae Smith and just blowing past dudes and he's just faster than everybody. You know, who knows? That, that can happen. So I know that I'm like creating a panic when there shouldn't be any, but it's just funny that, you know, Drinkwitz only recruits corners over 6'1 and then we've got a receiving core that averages it is really like 5'11. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, I, I don't know. He'll I, yeah, it out, it's not one of those it, things it, that you need to be concerned about. It is just it's worth noting, right, that there is there is clearly yeah. a type that is currently on the roster that is not all on Eli Drinkwitz. I think part of this is just what is the talent that is available to me? Mookie Cooper became available yeah. in a way that you can't really predict. This is a guy that was literally ranked the number one athlete in the country a year ago, and he's out there. You're not going to tell mm-hmm. him no. If that dude becomes available and he wants to come play for you, you say yes. And you say, we'll figure this out. How are you going to fit into the offense? I don't know, but go watch the film of what we did with Jalen Knox the first six games of the year. Tell us if you can do that. The answer is yes, Mookie Cooper can do that. In fact, that is the (laughs) ideal situation. That is the ideal um, spot for Mookie Cooper in, in the college game. Dominic Lovett, how does he fit in with Mizzou? I don't know, but figure it out. I think he can play some Z receiver where he's split out wide and he's off the line of scrimmage, right? He's on the side of the tight end. I think he can play a little bit of that. Now, is it where you want to put him ideally? Maybe not, especially not as a freshman. I'd probably rather see him in the slot where it's a little easier for him and he's not seeing as much press coverage, but... If you need to put him out there in a pinch, go for it. I think he could have handled that. I think he's probably the one out of these guys that we're talking about that's best suited to play outside. They'll figure it out. Dominic Lovett was a four-star talent that became available, and they decided to go grab him. Mookie Cooper, a four- to five-star talent, depending on where you look, that became available, and they decided to go grab it. They had a lack of receiver talent a year ago, a real lack of receiver talent. And now they've got too many dudes at one spot. So... I will take this problem over the problem that they had at this point a year ago. I'll tell you that much. Because at this point last year, yeah. they didn't have I agree. Uh, Damon Hazleton. They didn't have Kiki Chisholm. And they were going into the year. And I was like, well, you got Jalen Knox. What else is there? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> this is a lot better place to be. I, I completely agree with you. If you're looking at transfer portal to add receivers, which we need to, you got a couple options. J.J. Holloman, formerly of Georgia, now formerly of FIU. He's in the transfer portal. He is um, 
got some character questions, I think, is his issue. Um, but he is he is available, and he's over 6'1". He is currently, what is he, 6'4". So there, there you go, 6'2", sorry. Um, so there's an option. Warren Thompson out of Florida State. He is 6'6", 3", four-star receiver. Tra- uh, Trayvon Sidney out of Illinois. Uh, D. Anderson out of Oklahoma State, 6'5", kids. So, I mean, there are some options out there. And you know what? What did Drinkwitz do last year? Went damn near to D2, got Kiki Chisholm out of Angelo State. Like, I'm sure he'll find some guys to fill in. I'm not I'm not concerned about any of that. But you do need a couple more pass catchers, and I would like them to be a little experienced uh, just to step in and be able to provide the bump that uh, Kiki Chisholm was able to provide towards the end of the year. Because uh, there's a whole lot of youth in the pass catching game, and you need a lot of experience to have a lot of success big term. So, um, yeah, we'll figure it out. Get the talent, figure it out. I trust Drink. It, it kind of reminds me. So, if you go back in Drink's history and you look at uh, where he was in the past, you go back to NC State, right, where he was the offense coordinator. Mm-hmm. And we've brought up this offense a number of times for a few different players that Mizzou currently has. And specifically thinking about Tyler Beatty and how they can utilize him. You look at Naheem Hines, the former mm-hmm. running back that they had at NC State, who was kind of a slash player. He was a running back, but he wasn't like a bell cow guy. He was the type of guy that you really wanted to get involved in the passing game. That was where he was at his best. He's now with the Indianapolis Colts. They had him in 2016, and he finished the year with 43 receptions for 525 yards. They found a way to utilize him to the best of his abilities, despite the fact that he was 5'9 and a buck 95. <laughs> Yeah. That's that's not your prototypical running back. That same year, if you look through their receivers, uh, they had a sophomore receiver, Stephen Lewis, who was 6'2", 215. So that's their big guy, right? Mm-hmm. Jalen Samuels was their, I guess you can call him a tight end. He was technically listed there, but he was kind of a running He's back as well. Everything, man. Yeah, he was 5'11", 225. Not exactly your prototypical type. Kelvin Harmon, who's now with the uh, New England Patriots, he was a freshman that year, 6'3". That was their big receiver that they had outside. And then they had another senior receiver that year that was 5'11", 191 pounds that finished the year with 30 catches. So that's kind of the type of receiving core that Mizzou's going to be looking at next year. How do you make it work? I don't know, but Drinkwitz made it work with a tight end as his number two receiver, a running back as his number three receiver, a freshman up there in that list as the number four receiver, um, and then Jacoby Myers, who was a transfer or a converted quarterback, was his uh, sixth leading receiver on that roster. So he made it work that year. I think he can make it work this year with Mizzou's current configuration. Absolutely. Did you watch the national championship game, by the way? I did. I did. Uh, fun for about a quarter. Really yeah, fun for about a one quarter. quarter. Yeah. So obviously Alabama is the king of the world once again. Yawn. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like, Alabama was just so far and away the best team in the country this year. It, it just seemed like a foregone conclusion. And I know a lot of people kind of talked in, themselves into, oh, Ohio State can give, give them a run for their money, the way they dismantled Clemson. No, no. Like, Ohio State, other than Clemson, didn't get challenged by a complete team at all. Clemson does not, is not the Clemson that you're thinking of. They don't have the receivers that they usually do. Ohio State took advantage of, of that, and they they earned. They are the second-best team in the country, but Alabama, I mean, this is – they talked about that 2017 recruiting class and how how many All-Americans, All-SEC, and future pros that are going to be on that, that team right now. 
and they all came back. And like these, all these kids should be in the NFL, and they're playing for Alabama. Like it just. There, there is no question in my mind that Alabama was the best team. It was just going to be how much did they win by. And they just put the smack down on them, and now they're champions. And Nick Saban has seven national titles, I think, six AP, seven total. Uh, and, you know, the greatest college coach in, in the history of college football. So there's a bunch of things I just said with my mouth. Take, take apart any of those and, and run with it, man. So – Let's start with this Alabama team and what they just did against Ohio State. I thought the most telling drive was it was in the fourth quarter. At this point in time, they're without Jalen Waddell, who should have never been playing in the first place. Different conversation, different day, but shouldn't have been out there in the first place. Devontae Smith was out because he had the finger issue. Um, Najee Harris was out. They were going with Brian Robinson Jr. as their lead running back on this drive. Mac Jones, I think the previous drive had just hurt. It appeared to be like an ankle or something. He, he clearly wasn't moving around the way that he typically would. So you had a quarterback that was hobbled. Your backup running back is in the game. You're without your top two receivers, one of whom w- won the Heisman this year, the other of whom people thought coming into the year was the best receiver coming into the season, <laughs> not only on Alabama, but in college football. You're without all of those guys. And they just dominated Ohio State right down the field, found a way to get in the end zone. And that's when I was like, okay, it's just different. Like what they are doing is just so much different. It is on a different playing field than everybody else. It was an eight-play, 75-yard drive that took four minutes off of the clock. And this was with mostly backups for them. And it was against the team that we all tend to agree, at least I do, was the second best team in the country this year. It's certainly the second most talented team in the country. And they whooped them. They absolutely whooped them. And for half of that game, the second half, they didn't have basically their top two receivers that all that we all agreed coming into the season were the two best receivers in college football. It's amazing. It really is. And I know that's not a surprise to anybody. Of course, Alabama is inevitable, and they're always going to be in this spot. But the fact that they did it with Mac Jones, the fact that they did it with the defense that isn't as good as your typical Alabama defense and without the stars that you would typically find on most Alabama defenses, I think that's what impressed me most about this team. They did it in a different and new and interesting way, even while also still being same old Bama. See, that's the thing. Nick Saban... um... I, I go back and forth on like his his greatness quotient, if you will. He's he's been such a different dude, you know. When he from his LSU days through that brief stint at with the Miami Dolphins and then at Alabama through what was the Notre Dame thrashing? Was that 2012, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there? Yeah. Like Nick Saban was defense first. Put all your elite athletes athletes on the defensive side of the ball, field an offense that can run the ball, and just squeeze the life out of teams. That's that's all he did, and it worked. It worked so well. He was winning national championships at LSU, at Alabama. It was so boring. Everybody hated it, and he was like, "No, this is this is how we're going to play. This is this is how we're going to play football. You know, trust the process, trust the system." And you know, then he gets, then he loses to Oklahoma in 2013, and then Auburn does, you know, what Auburn did to them in the Iron Bowl with the RPOs, and he's, you know, baning the lectern with his Diet Coke on there and saying, "Is this, is this what we want football to be? Is this it? Is this it?" And overwhelmingly, the SEC and college football said yes. 
And so this guy who grew up, you know, he 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 was the architect of the defense that shut down uh, what was it? The Buffalo Bills passing attack in the late early '90s. Uh, kind of stopped the the whole passing spread there. He did it with the Browns. He was doing it at LSU. Like this guy who knew only one way of playing football and had maximized that type of football in that that national championship game against Notre Dame. He then turns around, hires Lane Kiffin, revamps his entire offensive philosophy tweaks the defense so that it's more speed more pass rush than what he's done before and then what's he do he wins a bunch of national championships again he does it again in a completely different style now the only reason that i am on the hang up as far as he is the greatest of all time is because he fields the most talented teams we've ever seen the alabama team that took the field on monday had the most blue chip recruits on a single team ever 85 percent of their roster were four and five star kids no other team has even come close to that in the rivals era so i'm like yeah you could be really bad at this and still win a natty accidentally but i will still give him credit he he is probably he is easily the greatest recruiter of all time he does this year after year with complete 100 percent staff turnover the staff that won the 2017 national championship none of them were there for this year like, he does this every year. So his system works, his process works. He's the greatest recruiter of all time, an excellent teacher, and he's done it in two different types of ways. So, yeah, maybe he is the greatest college coach of all time. He's definitely, in my opinion, the greatest college football coach in all time. I, I don't know that there's any even any discussion to be had there at this point, to be honest. Um, and I think you mentioned the recruiting side of things. I think what he's done in terms of his offensive coordinators over recent years is like the the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he made Butch Jones, he like rehabbed his image in two years. Lane mm-hmm. Kiffin went from being a laughingstock of college football to a real college football coach that everybody was like, hey, I don't know if this dude's like fixed or not, but his offense is really good and somebody should give him a job. And he got one, and then he fell his way up all the way to Ole Miss now, and his offense is awesome. Um, Steve Sarkeesian went to Alabama, rehabbed his image, and now he's the head coach at Texas. Brian Dable went to Alabama after a weird tenure in the NFL as a head coach, offense coordinator, went down to Alabama, did pretty well there, and now he's the offense coordinator for the Bills, and he's probably going to get a head coaching job off of that. Like, His ability to go find these disgruntled, um, laughingstock offensive minds, bring them into his system under his umbrella, teach them his ways, whatever that means, and then allowing them, and I think this is probably the most important part, allowing them to do their thing with the offense, that is what is most impressive, especially basically since Lane Kiffin. He kind of let Lane do Lane's thing. The offense was super successful as a result of it. And you've seen it go in a different direction. And I think that was kind of a turning point for um, what you're seeing out of Alabama. Since then, you saw it this year with Sark. Sark was an awesome OC. I don't know what he's going to be at Texas. Awesome OC for Alabama. Some of the plays that he was dialing up in that uh, national title game were incredible. And yes, they look better because he has awesome talent. But the scheme is the scheme, and it works. It sounds like they're going to go with Bill O'Brien, the laughingstock former Texans coach as their next OC. I guarantee you, guarantee you, Nate, two years from now, we're going to be talking about whether it be NFL or college, Bill O'Brien's going to be the most sought after coach that you can find. 
He's go- it's oh. going to happen. Absolutely. Like I mean, I I I don't follow the NFL. I you know this is for all you who listen a long time. This is your drink moment because I say it. I think every single show. Um, but regardless of his abilities as a GM, you can't trade players in college. <laughs> so I'm not worried about that. His offensive mind is is without question. I think he was the only guy to get Christian Hackenberg to do freaking anything at the college level. So he is. He's got the chops, and that's the thing. Like Saban knows these guys are good. Mike Loxley is a hell of an offensive coach when he's not punching his assistants in the face. You get, you know, you get dad on your case for two years, and all of a sudden you're behaving well, and then you're you're head coaching material. So yes, absolutely, Bill O'Brien's going to be awesome. Uh, I want him to take like, uh, oh, what's his face, Adam Gase. I think that would be like, you know, Heisman mode for Nick Saban. Like, see if he could. Turn See, the Adam funny Gase thing is, coach. Adam Gase is thought of, at least in some circles, as a better offensive mind or had more success in the NFL, certainly, as an offensive mind um, than Bill O'Brien did. I think Bill oh, O'Brien is a more wow. difficult rehab job after what happened with him in the NFL. Wow. I mean, he, okay. he was in the league with Deshaun Watson <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, DeAndre Hopkins, arguably yeah. top five talents, both of them at their respective positions, at receiver and quarterback. And he couldn't make it work. Like, he failed with those guys at his disposal. So, if if you can't make that into a legitimate, successful NFL offense, then, whoo boy, you've got a long way to go. And he certainly does. So, I, I'm fascinated to see how it works at Alabama. But I think it's going to work because we've seen it. We've seen it work with uh, with Butch. We saw it work with Dable. We saw it work with Lane Kiffin. We saw it work with Sark. So, why in the world wouldn't it work with Bill O'Brien? I mean... He- Bill O'Brien's just walking into a template, right? Like, just pick up where Lane and Mike and Brian and everybody picked, you know, just dropped off Steve. Like, I know they each have their own little wrinkles. Uh, like, I know Sarkeesian, I don't know what the play is called. I know there's a bunch of people who know these plays and their names. I don't know that. All I know is that I think uh, Devontae Smith's first touchdown. Yeah, the orbit where they lined motion. It up where all the receivers were like, they had three bunched on the right, two on the two on the left and Devonte Smith was split wide and then goes in motion towards the quarterback all the receivers they're all bunched tight together because Ohio State's playing man they all just run into the middle of the field and stand there and they just create a, a, a jumble of players and all Smith has to do is just run back to where he came from and then beat his man to the corner which he's always going to do I'm like I love that play I love it's, it's awesome and I know it's a, I guess that's a Stark staple but like Bob B.O.B. just has to come in and just like add a couple things here and there and not screw it up. Yeah. Like he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. It's amazing, man. It really is. It, it. I said it earlier. Alabama is inevitable and they they <laughs> will always find a way. And it's you mentioned the Notre Dame um, like nasty game that we had yeah. to watch between those two teams. I look yeah. back even further to 2012 when Alabama beat LSU 21 to nothing in the national championship <laughs> game. Yeah, I was yeah. looking back at the stats of that game the other day. A.J. McCarron was the Alabama quarterback. Marquise Mays was their leading receiver. And they won behind just this incredibly star-studded defense. And so mm-hmm. to be able to go from that to where we are today, where Alabama literally entered the season with – a the best wide receiver in the NFL who was Jalen Waddle at or excuse me in, the, in college football which was Jalen Waddle at the time ended the year with the best wide receiver in college football Devonte Smith who won the Heisman <laughs> as a receiver for the first time in 30 years 
Mac mm-hmm. Jones, who nobody outside of Alabama believed in as a like superstar quarterback, ended up top three in the Heisman ceremony. And then Najee Harris is also top five in the Heisman ceremony. So it's it it really is there there is there's not enough words in the English language to give credit to what they have built down there at Alabama. It's boring, it's frustrating, it sucks as a college football fan that it is becoming so inevitable, but hey man, you, you can't do anything but respect it because that, that program is humming at a level unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of the sport. So speaking of respect, let's go back one year to that LSU offense. Would you take LSU's offense from 2019 or Alabama's offense from 2020? It's a really interesting question, and I think this is the right way to look at it because I framed it the other day as where would this team rank, this Alabama team, among the best teams that we have seen in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. It's a really good team, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them because they were really good. But that defense just, as much as we think about Alabama as a defensive team and they were good, it wasn't on the same level as some of those others. Like I still think 01 Miami, 05 Texas, 04 USC – those teams I would probably still take over this one that we saw this year. And that's just to name a few uh, that immediately pop into mind. LSU last year, though, is a really interesting comp. I think I would take LSU. Joe hmm. Burrow's the better quarterback. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I don't think is a significantly worse running back than Najee Harris. I don't think that the drop-off... Ooh, disagree. Really? <laughs> I, would take, I would take Harris over... C-E-H, every day of the week. I, I think I would, too. I don't think the drop-off is that significant, but maybe I'm wrong on okay. that. Um, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase is really, really, really good, along with Terrace Marshall. Yeah. I think it's pretty similar in terms of the receiving core, even though, in, again, I, I'm I'm not trying to discredit anything this Alabama, did, Alabama team did. It is... It is really tight. The thing that would give the edge to Alabama for me, though, is not the pass catchers. It is not the running back. It is not the quarterback. It would be the offensive line. If you're going that direction, it's the O-line oh, that sure. would give the give the lean towards Alabama. Yeah, I get that. I think I would go LSU, though. What about you? So, just, for, just simply from an offensive standpoint, because that LSU won with offense, and Alabama, I know their defense kind of carried the day, but wow, that offense was just otherworldly. So I think that the better team between those two, I do think is Alabama, and I do think you're right. It's because of the defense. Like, LSU's defense last year got better as the year went on, but they weren't feeling it at the beginning. Alabama's defense was feeling it, like, all year. Yeah. So I would, I would take them that way. But from an offense standpoint, because I think that's where you get the closest comp, I, I I hesitate to pick between the two, but I'm I'm going to and here's here's my here's my reasoning. I love LSU's offense more because that offense was predicated on a coordinator and his scheme, Joe Brady, and a quarterback executing that scheme. And it was something that we had never seen at LSU with all their freak talent. We finally saw it unleashed with the perfect quarterback with the perfect coordinator designing everything. It was all scheme and execution from the quarterback. Alabama's offense, yeah. Their quarterback's the worst player on the team. Right? Like it's it's not 
I'm not discounting what Sark does, all right? Like, he's good scheme, X's and O's, like, play caller. But, like, again, they won because they had the best receiver, the best running back, and the best offensive line in the country. Like, that's why they won. <laughs> like, yes, Mac Jones executed. Yes, everybody executed. But you could almost run out of triple option. They'd still put up 40 a game. So it's like, I love LSU's offense more. But I would take Alabama's offense over LSU's just because they are more talented player to player. And yes, I would take Joe Burrow over Mac Jones. And yes, I'd probably take um, what Theo Moss as a tight end over Forrestal. But like, other than that, I would take Alabama's entire offense, 2020 Alabama's offense over LSU's offense, even though I love LSU's offense more. Have you looked back at Jamar Chase's numbers from last year? It's freakish, man. I, oh, it's so good. This is not to discount what Devontae Smith did this year. He was the best He was the best player in college football, period, point blank, in the story. Yeah, yeah. Devontae Smith finished the year with 1,850 receiving yards. Yeah. Last year at LSU, Jamar Chase, as a sophomore, finished with 1,780 receiving yards. Mm-hmm. Devontae Smith this year, 23 receiving touchdowns. Jamar Chase last year, 20 receiving touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And that was Jamar Chase who was sharing a bulk of the load with other unbelievable other yeah. receivers, right? Like, he he wasn't yeah. the only option in that offense. Devontae Smith, for much of this season, was basically a one-man show outside. It was it was kind of him. They had Mitchie as well on the other side. Um, but once Waddle went down, it was basically everything was going through Devontae Smith. And I guess you could argue that is even more of a reason as to why he was better this year than Jamar Chase was a year ago because there weren't those other options to take away the double team opportunities. I could listen to that argument, but man, I think the passing game options a year ago for LSU, if you if we're looking at it without Jalen Waddle, were were better than what you saw this year at Alabama. So I, I think I'm sticking with that LSU team, even though it is you're pretty happy if you're an OC with either <laughs> of these two yeah. options. Oh totally. Totally, totally. So, 2020 season is over. I'll I'll be honest, BK listeners, I had no fun watching college football this year. I I did not watch. I think I watched most Mizzou games start to finish. I didn't watch any games start to finish outside of that, other than the national championship um, on Monday night. I my heart wasn't in it, and I think a lot of that had to do with how what do you not survivor's guilt, but like. Just knowing that what the what the players were sacrificing to do this for us, I I didn't like it, and I didn't like seeing the empty stadiums. I didn't enjoy not hearing the bands or seeing the cheerleaders or you know knowing that there's no tailgating or you know riotous crowds at Death Valley or you know the Big House or anything. like it. Just you know, and teams were picking up and starting and all over, and games were getting canceled, and you know they had a piece come out from. Uh, I think the Daily Beast did one, Defector did one, just talking about you know, citing players and saying, like, they didn't want to be here. They didn't want to do this. And they hated the hypocrisy of having to stay in a bubble while the coaches went home to their families. And it just, everything about it was gross. I know why we did it. I'm happy that it was done. But this is my least favorite season of all time, and I don't think it's ever going to get close to that ever again. It sucked. Um, it, it was rough. 
I've been listening to a lot of NBA podcasts lately, um, and they're getting started for anybody that's not an NBA fan. They're kind of going through their start of the season right now. They've been going for about three weeks, and they're getting just destroyed with COVID right now. So they've had to redo a lot of their COVID protocols, and the more you listen to things, the more you read from reporters around the league, the more you hear about, and it's a first world problem, right? It is, it is truly a first world problem. The players are just, they're done. It's exhausting. The season is really hard. They are not able to see their families very often when they're on the road. They don't do anything. They literally go to the room, go to the, um, go to the stadiums, go to the arenas, and then go back home and you do nothing, right? It is a, it is a lonely and arduous and monotonous life. And that's kind of what it was like for these players in college football as well. You go to practice you go back to the dorms, you hang out, you go to sleep, you do a little classwork because most of the classes are not meeting in person. It's just tough. It's tough. So I think that was the case for a lot of these players. And in terms of just like the product as a whole, this year I was reminded just, we say this all the time and it becomes a cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. It is about the pageantry. College football Mm -hmm. is. It's about the tailgating. It's about the walk to the stadium and every team has something a little bit different, right? Whether it be the ball of the vol walk at Tennessee or at Mizzou, I know we've got like, everybody's got their own thing. Um, and there wasn't a lot of that this year. There wasn't the bands in the stands. Like you said, there wasn't game day on campus to get you ready in the morning with 10,000 people standing on a quad. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the same. And so I'm with you. With the cancellations, with the way that the season was set up, it was hard to be able to really put your heart and soul into all of this. I'm glad they did it. I think it was necessary to do it. I'm glad that they were able to get through it without anything awful happening. Um, but I I hope that next year's a lot different. I hope by the, that by the time that we get to college football season and fall of 2021, pr- praise God, like knock on wood, whatever it is that you do, I, I hope that we are back to normal and you can have the fans in the stands, even if it is with masks. I, at this point, I don't even care. Um, just let, let's get back to a sense of normalcy. And hopefully that college football is a reflection of society last year. And hopefully mm-hmm. next year, the reflection is a little bit more, um, more positive. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, at this point, everything's on the table. Right. If you want to expand the season by a week or two, it was what I was hearing. Do it. Right. We don't care about player safety. <laughs> that's that's not an issue. We'll make him play through a pandemic. We can make him play an extra two games. If you want to expand the playoff, don't come at me with you know, oh, but the player safety, oh, but the you know the the, the schoolwork and the stuff. No, get out. We have shown that they will they will do it because they have to do it. So you name whatever you want them to do, and we can make it happen. And that sucks. I'm sorry that they don't have. Uh, any control uh, or direct input on on how they play the sport that they love, but I am I am I feel bad for them, and I know that it's like oh so sorry that you know they have to play a game for a living, and you know they could possibly make a million billion dollars off it and at least get a free education. Like oh woe is me, yeah well they're the people too. They're people first and foremost, and no one does well in this environment and. So if you're looking at these games, it was it was a very sloppy season for a lot of teams, Missouri included. And if you want to get mad and say, you know, how could you, you know, be so poor, you know, play so poorly or execute so badly, 
Because it sucks, guys. <laughs> they don't want to mm-hmm. do it. A lot of them don't want to do it. I don't hold that against against them at all. I, I, I don't care. Like, like we said at the beginning, like the goal of the season is to get through the season. And they did it. It's over. Yeah, let's hope the you know the vaccine works to whatever degree it does and we have enough time to, to get over this and, and shut it down and, and get back to at least a modicum of, of normalcy into the into the next year. Yeah, I I hope that we've got something a little bit better next year in terms of the products that we are able to see. I also, like if you're looking at Mizzou this year, um, it, it adds to the story of what, what they were able to do this season. You know, by the end of the mm-hmm. year, I know a lot of people, especially as you now get to the news with Ryan Walters going over to Illinois, I've seen a lot of people post something to the degree of, well, good, he the defense stunk down the stretch. Well, of course it did. It was decimated by injury. It was decimated by COVID mm-hmm. situations. Kobe Whiteside was never right this year. And there were a million different reasons as to why that was the case the last three games of the season, not to mention the fact that in one of those games, they went up against Georgia, who was just yeah. better than Mizzou. So. Yeah that hopefully they don't have to deal with that next year. Hopefully they don't have games that are postponed left and right and you have to make them up and then you're playing into mid-December for no real reason other than because you have to. There's not a bowl game that you have scheduled and then kids go home because, of course, because it's Christmas and New Year's. And then they come back and um, you have to cancel the Iowa game, not because they went home for Christmas, but because of stuff that happened the week prior. I mean, it's just weird year. Successful year on the field for Mizzou, all things considered, but weird year. Oh, you know what? There was one other thing that we needed to get into. Hmm. Have you seen the Eli Drinkwitz comments about uh, Connor Basilek? Uh, I, I, if I'm thinking what you're thinking you're mentioning here, he said that uh, that there's going to be an open competition for quarterback, but it's going to be really hard to unseat the SEC freshman of the year. Is that what you're talking about? That is exactly what I'm <laughs> referencing, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think there's a lot of people that made more of this than I did, maybe. Of course this is the case, yeah. right? What's he going to what do you want him to say? Like we we're all good with this. We all understand that hey, Connor Bazeluck was pretty good last year and it's going to take a lot for a true freshman to come in and unseat him. It's going to take a lot for Brady Cook who was his backup this year and they never really wanted to see him in extended circumstances. That guy's probably not going to start over Connor Bays, like barring something unforeseen. It's possible, I suppose, but barring something unforeseen, he's probably not going to start over Bays, like going into next year. We we'll knew that, right, going into this offseason? I thought so. I I I'm, I can't speak for you know Joe Blow, Mizzou fan on the street who <laughs> gets on Twitter and gets angry about stuff. But no, guys, no, no, no fresh, very very few freshmen come in and usurp the the starters ahead of him. Most of all, at the quarterback position, like yeah, no, no, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean Tyler Make it's going to be a bad player, and it doesn't mean he's uh, not going to see the field either. Absolutely, and it doesn't mean that he couldn't start as a sophomore yes. over Connor Bazelek, who would then be a junior, I suppose. Right. Or, the classes are so messed up, but whatever it is, um, a sophomore, he could, yeah. right. He could still start the following year in 2022 or 2023 or 2024. <laughs> There's still plenty yeah. of opportunities out there for Tyler Macon to be able to see the field. Next year is probably not going to be that season, yeah. and that had to be the expectation going into things. But when I saw those comments, I, I saw a little bit of surprise from a, at least a segment of the fan base, yeah. and I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because it, it was a little bit of news earlier this week. I saw he went on 
um, on a radio show and said that, and there was there was a little bit of, of question as to whether or not that was the right thing. I think it is, and it's still possible Macon could start next year. It would just take a lot, which it should. Yeah. I mean, God. Y'all, football players are competitive. The thing you want your freshman quarterback to hear is that he has to earn his job. Because now he's like, oh, well, you don't trust me? You don't believe in me? Chip on the shoulder, man. You know, that's that's what you want. Now, And, and he even admit it, it's going to be an open competition. He just said that you. what he's saying is that if you're the SEC freshman of the year, you're probably doing a lot of things right. <laughs> and so that's that's okay. That's okay to say that. Oh, my God, what? Ugh. I love the offseason because you can do a lot of fun deep dives into stuff, but I also hate it because people <laughs> blow these sorts of things out of proportion. It drives me crazy. And I don't think it was like a huge story, but I did see like a little bit of reaction, I guess you uh, we could we could put it that way, that wasn't the most positive in the world. And that's fine. It is what it is that it's a vocal minority, right? right. I just wanted to throw that out there for our listeners. If you did see that earlier this week, I hope you were expecting it. If you weren't, don't read too much into it. It it doesn't mean a whole lot right now. If Tyler Macon can't beat Connor Bazelak, you don't want Tyler Macon on the field. You want the best yeah. guy on the field. If he transfers, that's fine. He couldn't come. And by it. the way, it, it's worth noting, last year, Connor Bazelak couldn't beat Sean uh, Robinson yeah. in camp. That's right. And then you got into the regular season. Bazelik got a couple of series. They thought, oh, well, you know what? The, the offense kind of operates a little better with Bazelik out there. Let's see if we can give him more opportunities. Let's see if this goes well over the long haul. Mm-hmm. It did. He earned the starting job. So we've seen in the past, they, they have already demonstrated if the young guy is better when the games start, when we get to the fall, they'll give that guy the opportunity to win the job. And if he wins it, they'll ride with him. So Tyler Macon, I, I bet you, is on a pretty similar plan to what they had this year with Connor Bazelek. Wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, at least early in the season, Connor Bazelek. And if he's better than Bazelek in those opportunities, they'll probably give him more opportunities yep. as we go. So I wouldn't worry too much at all uh, as we go along this offseason. I fully expect Bazelek's going to be the starter going into spring ball. Fully expect he will leave spring ball as the starter. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see next year ultimately where that goes. Yep. That's all good. Because guess what? Drinkwitz is still going to be recruiting four-star quarterbacks. They're just going to keep bringing them in, bringing them in, bringing them in. And if they mm-hmm. make it, perfect. If they don't, perfect. Just keep rolling. That's how that's how the elite programs roll. So don't sweat it, guys. It's okay. It's okay. Stack that talent. That's right. Stack that talent. Uh, BK, I'm going to fall asleep. Um, but any <laughs> any last thoughts before I take a big old nap for two hours? Uh, for all my Blues fans out there, Ooh, hopefully yeah. you enjoy. We are recording this at uh, right actually at the beginning now of the Blues game. It is officially Blues season, so hopefully the Blues go well tonight. And uh, looking forward to Blues season. Hopefully we get some uh, some exciting times. But, yeah, that, that's all I got, man. It's it's good to have you back. I, I know that you are sleep-deprived. I know that it has been a difficult time for you. Can't even imagine. I do not have children of my own. I have a dog. That is enough for me right now. <laughs> God bless you. Thanks for hopping on today, man. I, it, it's been good to have you back. Uh, feels good to be back. We will all get back to normalcy eventually. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be our show for today. And as always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rock in flagship at Rock in Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.